I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company, and this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 19 of Theatre Forward. Great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> so this week's conversation is about cancel culture and how it's permeating the theater world and how questions around cancel culture influence our decision making. And for those who um, maybe somewhat blissfully don't know what cancel <laughs> culture is, haven't heard of it, um, you can Google it and, and be inundated. But basically, it's the idea that if an artist engages or is accused of engaging in behavior that we find unacceptable, um, we should stop engaging with their art. Right. Um, it's much more complicated than that, but if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, that's the, the best that I can do. And, and of course, this is also a complicated conversation because we each approach it from different points of view. Uh, how do we feel about the decisions we make as individuals, as Jen, Julie, and Mike, about the art that we engage with? How do we feel about it as artists, um, choosing what material to work on? And of course, how do we feel about it as producers who decide um, where to put our resources? So this conversation could go in all sorts of interesting directions. Indeed. Let's see what happens. All right. Um, Mike, I know that as, as a, a writer and a, and a critic and a dramaturg, you've really been grappling with, with some of these questions um, in, a, in a pretty rigorous way. So maybe you can kind of kick us off talking a little bit about um, some of the main cancel culture uh, issues that are coming up now in the theater. Well, you know, uh, the, the the latest, um, as of when we're laying this this down, is something that happened in, in Hollywood where um, actors Deborah Messing and Eric McCormick um, sent out a tweet to the Hollywood reporter um, saying, hey, we want the list of everybody that's attending a September 17th fundraiser for uh, for Donald Trump because we want to know who we should not be working with. Um, suggesting that if you're going to a Donald Trump fundraiser, you're not worth working at as an artist. Um, Whoopi Goldberg on The View came back like a ton of bricks on, mm -hmm. on that and said, the last time people did this, people ended up killing themselves. And she was referring to the Red Scare uh, and the blacklist of left wing at that time, um, Hollywood uh, artists, um, because they refused to name names uh, on, to the House Un-American Activities Committee and had their careers ruined as a result. And I think her point was, you know, what sauce for the goose is good for the gander. If you're going to take that position and ban people from from working or saying you won't work with them because they happen to take political views that you disagree with. Um, you know, wh where are we going to be? And that made me start thinking about somebody who I really do think gets a bum deal in the way in which he's remembered. And that's Elia Kazan, who I think is one of the greatest, I think sort of is undisputed, one of the great directors in all of American theater history, you know, responsible for the premieres of, of things like Death of a Salesman and, um, and Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, who did name names under a lot of pressure, um, gave up eight names to HUAC in the 50s of people who had already been named or who he knew from back channel sources were going to be named. Um, and as a result of that, there were a lot of people that refused to work with him uh, after that. Uh, and most famously, uh, in terms of the breaks that took place because of that is what uh, was with Arthur Miller. 
Um, and, you know, Kazan received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Oscars. Um, oh, I don't know. It must have been 20 years ago now. And famously, a huge number of uh, people in the audience refused to stand. Um, some people booed. There were pickets outside. You know, and to me, that I, I'll put my sort of t take on this out there. That was really upsetting. I mean, I stand with the L.A. Uh, Times film critic of the time, Kenneth Turin, who said, quote, the only criterion for an award like this is is the work, end quote. But that raises the issue, is if a person's work is good enough, does that cancel the cancel culture? I mean, does that mean that you 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 don't need to be sort of shimmying away from, from their work, even if you condemn them as an individual or condemn um, their, their views? And obviously, every single, it's a case-by-case case thing, but I think as an issue, this tension between the art that somebody makes and the views that they hold or the way they live their lives or the kind of behavior they engage in is real uh, for us to deal with. You know, it's so interesting that you use that example. I have to I have to qualify by just noting that my middle child is named for Pete Seeger, who famously <laughs> chose to not name names in front of the House on American Activities Committee. So I think we might come down slightly in a different place on that particular um, example. But what, what it really makes me think about is um, uh, what what the difference is between censorship and where we choose to put our our money or our resources, because I would agree with you that some of Kazan's work is exceptional. And in no way would I ever suggest that we should stop, that no one should ever see those films again or that or that we should belittle or diminish the work of all the other artists that worked on it. But I would probably also come down on the point of view of um nobody is uh, entitled to a Lifetime Achievement Award and that there's a lot of people who are probably deserving of one. And I might look at, um, is there someone else who's also done some brilliant work who didn't name names to, to HUAC and that I would choose to do that in the same way, you know, we've talked in a sort of joking fashion uh, on this podcast before that Personally, I don't see Forward Theater ever doing another David Mamet play. I shouldn't say another. We've never done one. I don't see us <laughs> doing a David Mamet play, in part because he has these what I think of as in crazy and restrictive um, views that prohibit theater companies from, say, doing a talkback, which we do after every performance. It's a big part of what we do. It's not to say that he hasn't written good plays, but a lot of other people have also written good plays. So I'm going to choose to do a play where I don't feel icky about the person I'm giving all those royalties to. And isn't it part of this when you say, Mike, that where the, the award is just for the art? I would argue that our our craft, what we do for a living, is part of everything we do. And and the way Kazan directed those plays is you, you can't separate from who he is to to the art that he does. So um, in that example, he made a conscious choice to do that when other people did not make, made a conscious choice not to name names. Um, I, I'm I'm going to uh, disagree with you on that one. Well, it, <laughs> I do have a real I think that he made a conscious choice to always have a footnote for the rest of his life that these movies are great. Here's a lifetime award footnote. He named names during this time that broke people's careers and, uh, you know, and ostracized himself. What I was going to say, though, too, is that um, 
so yeah, it's two different questions. It's what art do we want to see? And then it's who do, and it's also who do we want to work with? Right. Right. Those are, those are two separate questions. Um, but it's, it's also complicated when you look at, at theater or in film or in television, because the ultimate piece of art created is never one person's body of work. A novel or a painting, maybe you could say, wow, that person's reprehensible, so we should never look at their work mm -hmm. again. When it comes to theater or film or television, any piece of art that gets created is a lot of people's work. So I might feel really squeamish about, you know, saying you rah rah Elia Kazan, but I can also say, wow, do I want to see those performances in that film and that cinematographer's work in that film? And you know, all the conversations about should the Cosby show be on the air anymore? Um, you know, House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. I mean, there's there's so many examples um, where you may not feel good about that person, that particular person who has um, been, you know, accused or has been, you know, convicted of particularly reprehensible behavior. But then there's a lot of other art, too. And so you don't want to penalize every artist who came in contact with that piece of work. Um, but I am curious to kind of bring this conversation back to um, some of the specific um, theater related. I mean, these are these have been really good theater tangential mm -hmm. um, situations. But um, maybe, you know, there's this big new Michael Jackson musical that's being worked on. And, By Lynn Nottage, no less. Right. And that is, isn't even a situation where the living artists working on it are not the, the problematic situation. It's the subject of it. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, you've done some reading. Do you want to talk a little bit about the project itself and where that stands? Well, it was supposed to, I, I think, if I recall, right around when we we're laying down this podcast, be having its out-of-town tryout in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And after the um, the revelations, or maybe that's not the, every word is loaded in this conversation, <laughs> after the documentary <laughs> right, came out, right. with that indications we know for sure. within it, May <laughs> suggest that there was sexual abuse. Um, all of a sudden, the you know the the production got put back. Lynn Nottage, who is one of the people working on it at the time, came out initially with statements seeming to say that she believed the accusers um, that said that Michael Jackson had molested them um, as boys. Uh, you know, later I think she sort of said, "Well, you know, guilty or innocent till proven guilty. We don't know for sure, but it sure looks like from what they're saying that they have gone through some real pain." And she's having to wrestle, I think, herself, and has been very honest about this with the fact that working on this musical is um, is difficult. You mm -hmm. don't want to be pretending these things didn't either happen or or that there's enough out there to make folks think they happened on the one hand. Um, but what do you do with somebody like Michael Jackson, who is, uh, you know, an undisputed genius, um, somebody who completely reshaped the way in which we think about certain kinds of, of pop music, whose music is just amazing and wonderful. Do, do you just sort of pretend that didn't happen? Um, and, and if it did happen and he's part of our culture, do you not create work about him and his life when it's a part of our story in terms of who we are as a people and what American culture is all about? There was a great article with Lynn Nottage and Christopher Wielden, who are working together on, on that musical, um, interviewing them about sort of the status of this piece in development. And there was one thing that, that Chris said that really leapt out at me. And he just said, 
part of what we do as artists is we respond to complexity. And so I, I on this one, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think that this is a particular situation um, where I very much want to know what Lynn Nottage has to say about the life and career of Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I, I trust that whatever she comes up with is not going to completely erase what we now, you know, know or think we know about um, his life outside of his art. Um, but as Julie says, the life and the art do get quite tangled up together. Um, I mean, for God's sake, Woody Allen, I don't think we even need to go down that, but talk <laughs> about life and art being connected. Um, but we've made that connected. I mean, yeah. the same argument could be made in Michael, Michael Jackson. I enjoy listening to his music. I don't I don't like him anymore. Right. Woody Allen, it's the same way. Yeah. And and but for some for some people that has become more commingled. And I think it's because uh, his movies felt so personal. Mm -hmm. And so then we know about his personal life and then it be. Why is that ickier, I guess, is my question than listening to Michael Jackson? Mm. I, I I do think we have to take this a case by case. Um, some people, I think often in this conversation, I think of um, Oscar Wilde, <laughs> who was put in prison for being gay. His, his plays were um, banished, uh, no longer able to be produced. And then we come back and say, we that is not a crime. Oscar Wilde has done um, quite a bit in this country and around um, the world. And I don't think there are any things that we are talking about in the examples we have given that there will be a time in our country where we say, well, that was, that's OK now. Right, right. <laughs> but um, it's interesting to look at the, you know, this the culture that we're in right now and how we're defining who can be done and who can't. Mm -hmm. Well, Wilde's a great, and Wilde, I think, goes to Whoopi Goldberg's point about, you know, be careful what you wish for or be careful about the way in which you try and censor other people. I mean, we'll take another person from Wilde's period, which is Strindberg, um, you know, who had, he went back and forth in his life, but I think it's fair to say that some of his views were outrageously misogynistic, at least at certain periods of his life. And there are people who are saying now he shouldn't be done. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but and I'm going to quote again, but I'll take from Michael Billington, you know, who has this wonderful book uh, on 101 Greatest Plays. Michael Billington, for those of you who don't know, is one of probably the most respected critics in the world, has been the critic at The Guardian for, oh, gosh, I think it's almost 40 years now. And he said, look, I'm not denying this is in putting the father Strindberg's play in his book. He said, quote, I'm not denying Strindberg presents a problem. So he puts it right out there. But dramatists should be judged by the quality of their imagination and their ability to establish their own idiosyncratic world. Even if we don't automatically subscribe to Strindberg's beliefs, the father remains a work of unremitting theatrical power, end quote. And I'm on record in uh, a review I wrote of APT, which did do a Strindberg play uh, and a, a nice job with it, saying the father is a play they or somebody should do. And he's a playwright that we should do, notwithstanding that some of his views are represented. I think I do think, unlike somebody like Woody Allen, where I admit it's harder to untangle the two with somebody like that, you can separate the playwright or have you have to try to separate the person from the work. I mean, people are capable of producing great work and being horrible human beings. Um, Wagner created great operas. Well, at least some of us think so. He was a nasty, awful person. 
do we not listen to his operas because he was a nasty, awful person? Or do we say, you know what, maybe the music can stand on its own? Well, but there's also, I mean, these are, and, and we knew this was going to happen going in. Um, there, It's kind of two different questions. One is, should we engage with or not engage with the work of people who have ideas that we find reprehensible? And the other is, should we engage with or not engage with the work of people whose behavior we find reprehensible? Right. So those are our two things. Um, and then the other also is, are we are we making decisions about people who are who created the art before versus people we want to create art with going forward. Right. So Wagner exists. Strindberg exists. You know, I might not like their ideas. I'm not proving anything by not listening to their work um, now. But do I want to hire one of them to commission a play, you know, for forwards next season and give them my like. So that's where I come down as as a as a producer, I look at it more, who am I going to pay money to, to do their work now? And people whose behavior I find, I'm not even going to use the sort of trendy word problematic that I find unacceptable. I don't need to work with them because there's lots of other talented people who, who don't have that same baggage. Um, but as a consumer, for me, it's much more material that's already out there. Someone has already paid that person for their art or if it was from a long time ago, maybe they never got paid for their art. They died penniless and then their <laughs> estate made a fortune. But for me, then I'm re- I really tend as a consumer to just look at something and go, am I able to forget the things that I don't like about this person while watching the art? If the art is good that's, enough. That's the question, th- right? Exactly. Now. That's it. And, and my personal answer is when it comes to Woody Allen, nope, can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't look at his movies right now. I used to love, love, love his work. And now I all I can see is is his conduct out as a citizen out in the world. Um, but I don't begrudge anybody who does still watch and who enjoy his separate, movies who can yeah. separate. Great. That it's it's personal. Can you right. does it get in the way of the art or does it not get in the way of the art? But then the, the decisions that we're making as a theater company are much more about. Um, who do we now want to work with? And are we going to overlook bad behavior if the art is good enough? And I will personally say for me and for this company, nope, mm-hmm. because there are so, so, so many talented people out there who don't get a chance. And I do not need to take up a space with someone who is not going to be a respectful collaborator. And I do want to say, though, that I'm talking specifically about behavior and not about views because people's private views, I think, are. are, Well, that's a problem, though, right now. You say private views. Right. That's where a lot of these people are getting into trouble is they are they are tweeting some things that they should say over drinks at 3 a.m. to their friends. Maybe. (laughs) Or not. Maybe. (laughs) Right. You know, I mean, that's a that's a relatively sure. new uh, um, experience for all of us. And and so many that we can look at Kevin Hart, who doesn't get to uh, um, be in the Oscars um, from a tweet. You know, how many years ago was that? Ten years ago? Um, yeah. Views that are abhorrent, views that really, truly, even if he thought them, they should not, not only should they not be said out loud, but they should not be typed into anything and broadcast through the world. So it's changing so quickly right now. And, and so the question I have for you is 
how about those things that happened that people say, you know, in my youth, um, this is what I used to believe. I don't believe that anymore. Where do we go from that? I don't know. I mean, it's got for, it has to be case by case mm-hmm. and, and people do grow and change. People right? do grow and change. So if, if it's a situation of, you know, I had this reprehensible, reprehensible uh, point of view before that I expressed. And now look at all of the ways in my life in which I have shown that I have changed. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I did something really reprehensible or I have a reputation for being um, abusive to the people that I work with and like, again, behavior then saying, and now I'm reformed. I just kind of look at that and I go, yeah, there's a lot of other good people out there though, too. Is, is there a coming back for Kevin Spacey? Oof. Do you know what I mean? I, I love his work. Sure. Really do. Right. It, can he come back? But nobody, I mean, but I guess this is where I look at it and I go, yeah, if he came back, would he continue to do brilliant work? Sure. No one's guaranteed being a TV and movie star. There's a ton of other great actors out there. And you know what? If he doesn't come back, Someone else can be the star of whatever show or movie behaves, you know, well, but but there are I mean, you make judgments every day, Jen, as artistic director, saying some plays are better than other plays. Mm -hmm. Some actors are better than other actors. So, you know, in terms of what you choose, if you think a play is the best play. You know, you can say there's other good plays out there. You're, Mm -hmm. of course, correct. But if you think a play is the best play, but it's written by somebody that has bad views, what do you do? You know, I mean, or in terms of in terms of somebody, I mean, Kevin Spacey's a great example because he did do great work. You know, I think he's a little easier to keep out of a room right now because by all accounts, you know, with the number of complaints that have come forward, his behavior in the room, you know, at the old Vic when he was in charge uh, and also in the room in House of Cards was reprehensible. I mean, there were numerous complaints. So there you can say, you know what, he's affecting what's happening in the room. What do you do with somebody like Jerome Robbins, who, again, I'll go back to Hueck one last time. Yeah, he named names, too. But guess what? He was told he'd be outed for being gay if he didn't. And so, you know, when we criticize people for naming names, we weren't there. Right. It's a lot more complicated. Totally. And, and you yeah. know, maybe maybe we need to cut people a break. But put that part of him to the side. He was also, re- you know, by reputation, just a horrible person to work with. He was also a genius. And so when you're Steve Sondheim deciding, do you work with this guy? Or when you're Zero Mostel, who hated Robin's guts, but agreed to work with him on Fiddler because he respected the art so much, even though he thought it was horrible that Robbins had named names uh, and thought he was a bad person and would be difficult to work with in the room. What do you do? And if you're a producer, do you say, gosh, he's the best choreographer out there. I'm going to hire him and take my chances. Or do you say, you know what? He's an asshole in the room. I'm not going to use him. I'm not going to work. I with him. go I think, with the he's the asshole. Mom. I think We're not in 2019, <laughs> I think in 2019 now and the whole Me Too movement and all of that, we do say we say now I think there was behavior that was put up with and the whole idea of a diva and this, the you know, the the um, hard to work with genius. I think our, our tolerance for that is diminished. And for me, it's not even Me Too. This has sort of always been my thought is that I mean, I would have t- told you this 20 years ago. The idea that there's the best play and then we have to decide whether we're going to do it or not, or the best actor or the best choreographer. And then we have to decide if we want to work with them or not based on what kind of person they are. There's no such thing for every for every genius that we find in the theater or in film or in television or in literature. There are so many other geniuses that never get a chance. There are so many more brilliant artists 
than ever can achieve recognition. And if you put someone who may be a brilliant artist to the side because you find their behavior unacceptable, it makes room for other genius work to flourish. There are more people doing this work than can ever be paid attention to. And so I can look back and go, yeah, Fosse, man, he was brilliant. Jerome Robbins, he was brilliant. But then who are all of the artists, perhaps some of them women or people of color or people who didn't have uh, the background that would have allowed them to come to prominence? And and what, what's the work that they would have created if there'd been space for them? Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think we would not have in... Pulitzer Prize winning the Rose Tattoo now being revived on Broadway. We would not have Streetcar Named Desire. Right. We certainly would not have Cat on a Hot Tin Roof right. without the collaboration between Kazan and Williams, who, right. by the way, was one of the people who stood by him um, when mm-hmm. all this happened and said, you're a bunch of cuckoos for right. being so hard on the guy. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess I don't want to live in a world that doesn't have Chicago and doesn't have Pippin and doesn't have all the great stuff Fosse right. gave us. Now, should he have been in a better world, disciplined or right. had to, had dealt with for some of his behavior, you bet, you bet. And if he doesn't behave and doesn't reform, then out you go. Um, but to Julie's point, I guess I think people can be worked with. I mean, we are in an art form that believes in the possibility of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just categorically, as I think we're doing now, cancel, quote unquote, people is it. it breaks my heart because it means we're giving up on the possibility that things mm-hmm. can be different. And it also means on some level, we don't have enough faith in our own views and our own way of putting things forward to just argue for something better rather than just condemning and censoring things that mm-hmm. don't line up with where we are. Yeah. Well, can I, how, yeah, can I just, uh, um, my last thing I want to say is the, um, Lynn Nottage, the same article yeah. you referenced, Jen, and it's the same complexity thing, but I love this. She says, but in this day and age, I feel if we as artists run away from, from complexity, then who are we? Yeah. Amen. Well, it's funny because that's exactly kind of the point I was going to sum up. Look at that. We haven't figured out how to solve this. <laughs> we have no, no answers. <laughs> um, but hopefully the 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 act of having this conversation is is useful as we all think about this complexity in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will do it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Forward Theater, as always, with an ER. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure to leave a review. We're very grateful to have you listening, and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.